welcome to episode 71 of Books Cubed, the show where I chat with authors you should be reading. It is Thursday, July 23rd, 2020. And today I've got a real treat for you. I am chatting with a professional bookbinder, Lisa Van Pelt. She is fascinating and it is so interesting to hear how she puts books together. But before I get to that, uh, if you're on video, I'm halfway done with my hair. It's very pink. Uh, but I'm running out of time to get this done because it takes about three hours for the color to set on my hair to really make it bright. So I had to jump in here and do this real quick. Uh, anyway, if you're not on video, you don't care. Uh, let's see. Um, before we get to the interview with Lisa, if you can read cursive handwriting, Library of Congress has a really interesting project going on right now where they're having people transcribe uh, cursive writing and... Uh, it's fascinating. If you can read cursive, you'll want to try this. Uh, you go to C-R-O-W-D, crowd.loc.gov, and just scroll about this far down, and you will see all the information about the project. I tried it myself, and yes, I can read cursive writing. I could not read the document that they had showing. Uh, if you have a lot of patience and you love history, I love history. I don't have a lot of patience though, so it's not a good fit for me, but it might be for you. And thanks to Mary Mayweather for telling me about this. Uh, we've had her on the show before. She's a romance writer. Uh, it's just, it's a fascinating project. It's uh, to let people be able to search documents and find information without having to read uh, this cursive writing. And it's a skill that's being lost because they're not teaching in schools anymore, I don't think. So if you can do it, Go over and volunteer. I think you'll have a lot of fun with it. Let's get right to today's interview with Lisa Van Pelt, and I will see you after. I'm going to welcome Lisa Van Pelt. Did I say that right? Yes, that's it. Fantastic. And you are a bookbinder, which I find very fascinating because I am obsessed with books. When I was little, uh, my mom had, my dad had all these books, had a library, and we had um, a complete set of, um, I want to say it was Balzac. Oh, nice. My mom ended up, uh, they were like really old, and my mom gave them to some library, which just destroyed me because I wanted them because they were beautiful. But I have a whole set of um, stories that were like uh, Robinson Crusoe and Swiss Family Robinson and all these stories that are leather bound. And when you open the page... When you open the book, it's got those beautiful papers inside the leather, uh, the leather cover, and then the there's hand drawings, and then there's a little piece of of uh, tissue paper on top of the drawing right. that you can lift up to look at the drawing. I, I was gonna look for it, and we have so many boxes packed. I thought, well, I'm never gonna find it. Uh, but so I was fascinated to hear that you're a bookbinder. So. People, when people think of books, you know, they go to the store and they get um, a, a mass market paperback off the shelf, and it's it's glued and it's it's car it's it's um, paper and it comes apart if you bend the spine too too much. So mm -hmm. that's much different than what you do, right? So just walk people through what the basics of a book binder are. The basics. So, you know, the mass market paperbacks with all the glued spines that don't last forever, they definitely serve the purpose of getting books to people cheaply, um, which is great. 
because things that hand bookbinders do are, we're focused on creating an object that is a book. It's a work of art. It has art inside it. It's made as if it's a work of art. So um, usually I, I do addition binding. So that means I do multiples of, you know, anywhere from 20 or 10 to 50 um, in an addition. And I work with artists and printers and, or sometimes just rare book dealers and publishers. Um, and we put, they put together the, the guts, the innards of the book and they send that to me and I go through the process of designing the binding with them. If they have um, ideas, you know, of course I'm gonna use those. And, um, but usually what I'm doing is trying to design a binding with the structure and materials that kind of augments or um, communicates some of what's going on inside the book. So, um, so the pages come to me and they've got the, you know, works of art, the, the either lithographs or, or monotypes or uh, hand drawings sometimes, like you were talking about. And they come with the text. And so the first thing after design is, you know, really folding the text sewing all of those sheets of paper together by hand with thread and needle. Um, and it's then taking that block of text and creating a cover around it. Sometimes the text is, is sort of integral to the cover and so it's a folded kind of origami thing. Um, it depends on how modern or classical the, the book wants to be. So um, then there's, you know, there's sometimes making those handmade end papers like you were talking about, you know, either doing some marbling or paste papers or collecting those from shops elsewhere and doing the stamping. Sometimes they're leather covers, sometimes paper, sometimes metal, sometimes other random things that the client wants. Um, but it's all you know, each detail takes its own amount of time. Like those leather covers, you know, um, the leather will be bought in a lot and they'll be prepped to some extent before they get to me, but then you're taking paring knives and thinning out the edges of the leather so that when you fold it over onto the board of the cover, you get a very tight, thin, um, very tidy look to it um, instead of lumpy and you know we're not exactly trying to take all of the naturalness out of the material but there is some sort of uh, marriage between the natural material and craftsmanship that we're putting together in these pieces. So, and then there's stamping of the title page and the, I mean, not the title page, but the cut cover, um, you know, labeling, all that, using foils and hot stampers. And um, that's sort of, sometimes there's also boxes included where all of these things get to put into archival boxes that are, you know, elaborate or very simple. But, um, uh, that's sort of the rough overview of what goes on in making these books.
Now, when you put it together, I mean, when the pages come to you, are they all separate or are yes. they already? So they're just, they'll just give you a stack and then you've Often, got to figure out the best way to make those stay together. Well, sometimes they give you, you know, they already know the collation. And so they printed it in a way that when you stuff, you know, fold two pieces together, they'll actually be page one, two, three, four, when you fold them. Um, otherwise, sometimes they'll say, I've got these stack of pages and this is the order they're supposed to go in. And could you figure out how to make that work? And that can be more or less of a challenge. It's much easier if, if they've figured out the collation and you can just fold the pages together. Um, but yeah. So what, what are the ways, what are the different ways I mean, the, the, the book I buy, the books I buy at the grocery store, they're glued. And I, yeah. I remember being at our new, a new house. We had no furniture yet. It was super cold. We had a fire going and I was reading Hawaii by James Michener. And every time I turned a page, it came out of the book. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Those are, they call them fast back books, basically, because they're so fast to put together. And it's kind of like, you know, you get a, you have a pad of paper. If you, if you haven't moved all totally to post-it notes, you have a pad of paper with that kind of gluey bit at the top holding it all together. That's basically what that kind of binding is. Just a big lob, lob of glue to hold single sheets together. And it, single sheets are always a challenge anyway, but if you're gonna put it together with glue, it's just inevitable that it'll fall apart. You will, it's just, it, it's great because you can read something on the cheap, but um, you're not gonna, it's not going to be a family heirloom in that particular state for very long. No. So what kind of, what ways do you put them together then? Because I, I know that you can hand sew them. I've seen that being right. done. And, and right. just for, for, no, for, for someone who's never seen it or heard about it, what's involved with hand sewing a book together? So when you can fold, when you can take a page that's um, you know of any size and you fold it in half you get basically four sides of a page so four you know and it's this little folio what they call a folio and it's got the gutter where the pages come together at the fold and that you fold all these pages and you put all the gutters of those pages line them up and so they're a stack of folded pages and then you just take linen thread of various sizes, uh, thicknesses, um, and a binder's needle. And unless you can either sew them directly to each other uh, through the gutter, uh, through the fold, and down into the next page, and through the fold, and out, in and out, and in and out, and you can either do that with or without they have uh, what they call binding tapes. And so they're, they're tapes that run the width of the book fine. And so you're sewing all of these different folios together onto these tapes or cords. Um, and in that case, you know, when you, when you see those old leather books and they've got these raised uh, bumps on the spine up and down, those are usually, unless they're fake, um, they're usually, or they're fakes of, or there really are cords, like uh, hemp cord, little 
you know, hemp cord that the, those sig, the, well, signatures, the folios, they've all been stitched onto those cords. And those cords are really the strength of holding those pages together. And so when you're opening and closing and opening and closing those books, those pages are not gonna fall out. They're not gonna separate because those very strong cords are holding them together. They have um, synthetic, you know, binding tapes that sort of mimic that same process, but aren't as bulky in and are used a lot too but those old bindings stay together so well often because they have they're made with pretty strong materials and the linen thread as long as there isn't anything on them that a bug wants to eat they they stay pretty well intact over centuries yeah and it, it, is that the paper i mean thinking about you're sewing and that makes a little hole in the paper Yeah. when you're sewing. Is the quality of the paper, the construction of the paper itself, is it a tighter weave? I don't know if you want to call it a weave. Is it just a tighter so that when you sew through it in those early couple hundred years ago or whatever, and that's why the books have held together better is because it's a better quality, better made paper than what you might maybe find today? Well, definitely rag paper, like things made out of cotton rags when um, that kind of paper sort of became what, you know, the transition from parchment, which was basically goat skin or other kinds of skin, um, made really thin, uh, which holds up a long time, but gets brittle over time. Rag paper was really made out of old cotton rags blended together. And that became a much more sturdy, um, malleable, flexible, kind of um, kind of material to make books out of. Um, and, you know, the paper that are in a trade paperback, uh, obviously those are man-made papers. I mean, they're all man-made. They're all hand, they're, so handmade versus machine-made, I should say. Yeah. So the machine-made papers are the ones that will have totally uniform. They're often don't have a lot of tensile strength so that you can rip them fairly easy. They don't have a lot of noticeable grain. There's usually a grain to a, a, a handmade paper, although that's not always the case. Um, and the grain often gives it more strength. And so because there are fibers that are sort of shifted in the paper making process to go in a certain direction and that and sometimes they're laid lines like the lines that you'll see in a page if you hold it up to the light that's that's an indication well that's that means it has laid lines and it was just a certain type of paper making process that results in that but those older papers um were acid free that's a big part in what makes them um durable over time. Anything that has a uh, more acidity to it will break down over time. So the machine-made papers are often used with solvents and chemicals that are more acidic. They just, they leave residue on the page. And so over time, they're going to yellow more. They're going to become more brittle just because of that. They'll also discolor the materials that they're next to, like the end pages or a box that they're in or something like that. So um, the acid-free is probably the biggest thing to think of when you're wanting paper that will last. It just so happened that that's kind of how they made it way back then, luckily. 
Yeah. Yeah. Luckily, because we've all got all these great books. Uh, right. You can, I know you've talked before about um, going into uh, collections and, and being, you know, you put the white gloves on and you get to look at these right. books, which is just wonderful. So some of the books that you make, do they end up in these kind of collections? Because it sounds like these are really specialized and you do very small right. runs. So you have books that are out there that are, that are in collections? Yeah. I mean, in the sense that, uh, so the people I make them for, they sell these limited edition books, art books, to um, institutions like libraries, museums, or rare book collectors. And so that's how they make their way into like the Getty or the Library of Congress or any, the Whitney, wherever they're going. So I don't actually, as a bookbinder, so we're, we're, a, uh, we're a class of artists that are sort of, we're the supporting cast, as it were. Some bookbinders make their own work. And so when you're doing your own printing, your own content, then you're, you're the main characters in the um, cast list. But the, otherwise, you're a, as a bookbinder and a printer, you are supporting cast. So I don't keep a list of what collections they're in. Um, I just hear from people, you know, oh, so-and-so bought this, you know, book or, you know, a copy is here or there, and which is always fun. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's more anecdotal. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now, is that... Do, do you find that, that you yourself are a collector? I mean, do you want to be, do you go to rare bookshops? Do you, do you peruse old bookshops looking for, uh, you know, the, the antique books, I guess you'd call them. You know, I love going into those shops and looking and going through them. I rarely buy them. And that may just be because I don't have a lot of disposable income. Um, the books I've collected are either the a copy of the books that I've created, or there have been some more affordable new editions um, that I buy at places like Codex Book, Fa book Fair. That's um, it's a big event in the Bay Area that happens every other year where new work is presented and um, there's all kinds of, you know, everything from zines to these, you know, $25,000 um, photography art books and things, but that are all handmade and they're all um, sort of this sort of fine binding often, except for the zine side of things. Anyway, so there's quite more, there's a lot more variety and fun things that you can pick up. And, and so I tend to collect those types of things, this sort of little more ephemeral stuff. Yeah, yeah. So what, thinking, thinking unusual. So what, what would you say was the most unusual book that you put, into, put together? Um, most unusual uh, materials, maybe. Because you said before that there's all kinds of things from, from um, leather to, uh, to uh, wood, I think you said, and then there was something else. Right. But, but what is something that people would go, oh my God, you made a book out of that? Right. Yeah, I wish I had 
something that was totally weird. Um, the things that I make myself uh, for like little craft or, you know, bookbinding projects that are just for myself, I'll try and use like sticks and twigs and all kinds of random things. Um, but when you're making an edition and you have to make 25 books the same, there is a, a limiting factor in needing materials that will do the same thing each time, or you can find 25 of them or, you know, whatever. So probably the, the most, uh, the out of bounds thing that I used was, uh, was metal, very thin bronze, like it was a, wasn't copper, but a very thin metal that I patinaed and made all kinds of weird, like, swirls on and then pounded into place and cut myself millions of times and um, made them into covers for this one edition that we did. What do you pound? But then the you'll metal? have other things. What? What do you pound the metal into to make it to make it stay? Well, you're really trying I what I did was basically try to treat it like any other kind of material, which, you know, is not I could have come up with a lot of different things if I hadn't done that. But what the client wanted was me to use it just like you would use paper. It was thin as thin as paper, like a thick cardstock. And so I folded it over, you know, the board and put it all, glued it down and, you know, sandwiched all the edges so that nobody handling the book later would actually cut themselves the way I was doing it. And if you ever took these books apart, you'd probably notice a few little blood spots inside the book but otherwise you wouldn't see them but once it was all sort of sandwiched together and all the edges were hidden then it was a safe book <laughs> to handle yeah oh that's that is that is really really interesting thinking about uh, all the all the work that would have to go in yeah you think of you, a little bit of you goes with every one of those metal books <laughs> right a little bit yeah yeah. When I used to work for other people, we would, um, when I was younger in my twenties and we were kind of like studio hands, um, uh, we were making, you know, these huge, this huge, you know, we were working on these huge projects because these, we worked for some pretty amazing bookbinders and, um, every once in a while we would, slipping a message into the spine just for future um future conservators to find oh that's really cool yeah. what would you what kind of things would you write well well some i mean it, some of it came about just because um we would be using scraps of paper and you you hear this all the time about people restoring old books and they're finding like waste sheets inside you know the spine that were like pieces, old pieces of like really famous books that got cut up because they were damaged and they just got used for linings or whatever. Um, and so some of that would be, we'd, we'd be cutting up these strips of, you know, things that we had written notes on. And, you know, so you'd get these weird cryptic notes from, you know, 1999, you know, in, in these things. So it was, it was, uh, <laughs> there was some, uh, it wasn't any, I don't know if I should confess to anything. Oh, probably particular. not. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to get you in trouble. <laughs> so if you have a really old book, there's chances are there might be something right. interesting inside the binding. 
But don't now, take it hard because that you would ruin the value of the book. So yeah, that's true. So just if imagine you, that it's there. So if if you have a book that that is an old book, like like some like I talked about the series of books that I've got somewhere in one of the boxes, one of the many boxes that I have not unpacked ever. Um, sometimes the leather is torn in the back. Yeah. So is yeah. that something that is easy to fix or do you have to completely, I mean, what do you have to, what, what would you do? Would you be able to do a repair to a, a book, to a leather book that had, that had tears in it? Would somebody be able it's, to come to you about that? It's possible to make those kind of repairs. I usually only know enough about um, repair and conservation to fix my own mistakes. So like blood spot, you know, I know how to, figure that out. But, um, but if it's the, pretty much any part of an old book, um, you can absolutely come up with some way to fix it. It's, it's this sort of uh, debate between do you, do you alter the original enough to make it super functional in the current day, or do you try to preserve the original as much as possible, even if it, that means that part of, part of it is falling apart. You know, like some really old books you don't want to try, or manuscripts you don't want to do anything to, you just want to house them in a way that'll halt the deterioration. But if it's like a hundred year old book that, or 50 year old book that you really, you just don't want it to fall apart anymore. And you want to make sure the cover stays on then you can absolutely take a cover off. You can, you can patch areas so that it looks very subtle, like a su very subtle patch. Um, usually a conservator or restoration person will try and preserve as much as possible of what exists and just sort of, um, sort of in the background, sort of subtly make it so the hinge actually works again or something like that. Yeah, well, I suppose if it was a book that was loved and passed down and you wanted to share it with your family, you know, you might consider, right. um, or a family Bible or something like that. Right, uh, exactly. To, to have it um, uh, repaired so it would be uh, around for, you know, future generations. Right, because once there's a, there's a tear or a, um, something falling apart in the book, it sort of exponentially you know, deteriorates in my experience. <laughs> Once the cover is hanging off by, you know, a little bit, and it's not so long before it's hanging off by a thread, so. Yeah, yeah. Don't use tape, whatever you do. Don't use tape, because oh. that, spe speaking of acid, using tape on paper will, will hasten the deterioration of the paper, so either do some Googling to find a better solution or talk to a professional. <laughs> okay, people, if you have a book with issues, don't try to fix it yourself. Don't. Well, <laughs> YouTube might help a lot. So, I, you know, not discounting that, um, but beware of tape. Yeah, yeah. So you, 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 what was your training? I mean, did you, did you, were you, were you a little kid and thought, I want to make my own books? I mean, how, how did you come about with a career of bookbinding. Right, I know it's weird, um, a little obscure. I, I did make books for myself and for my friends when I was in high school and when I was in college. 
and and I studied architecture in college, so it was you know designing and making things on a big scale. Not that we did that as students, but you know that was the idea. Um, and then I it was right after college that I was working at an art store like you do, and I got hooked up with a bookbinder who was looking for other people to work in our studio on this big project. And, and that was sort of the beginning of the end. I mean, in, <laughs> that sounds really bad. Anyway, that was the beginning where, I mean, I had taken a couple of bookbinding courses just for fun. And then I started working for this person. And because I wasn't a total um, disaster with the glue brush, she kept me on. And, uh, and I worked for her and a couple other bookbinders for five or six years and eventually started just working for myself. So that's how it happened. Nice. So you kind of, you didn't really fall into it, but the opportunity well, presented itself and you took advantage yeah. of it. Right. Yeah. It kind of worked out that way. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Now you, you talk about presses and I know there's machinery involved. When I think bookbinding, I think everything by hand, but everything isn't done by hand, is it? Right. So there are specific tools, you know, everything, you know, you got your hand tools. Yes, you got that. But then there's everything from this, the non-mechanized machinery um, the type that I would use would be a big, what they call a board shears. It's a cutter that can cut large pieces of paper, very straight, everything precise, squared, all that. You know, mine's a 45 inch bed and has a hundred pound counterweight on the blade and there's a lot of um you know it's from the late 1800s so it's got a lot of um old time allure and then there's a big then there's standing presses book presses there's everything from a nipping press which is small and you've probably seen these in old bookshops where they've got a little you know a screw on top a wheel on top with a screw that goes down and nips together these cast iron plates and then I have a seven foot uh, standing press, which was meant for the kind of work that I do because in addition binding, you sometimes want to have 25 books or more in the press between metal edged boards, squishing everything together, um, accentuating the groove and all of that sort of stuff. And so all of that stuff is non-mechanized, but then there's things like hot stamping machines. They were using gold foil or any other kind of foil. Um, people use uh, hot glue, so that's a little acidic. So you got to be careful where you use that. But um, so there are definitely, you know, there are there are bookbinders who use things like a Smythe sewing machine, which is a not by hand machine but it reduces the cost of making these kind of books by a considerable amount so some book binders with big shops will do sort of a multiple different kinds of bindings you know they will they'll do all by hand or they'll do a combination where um, it makes something more accessible do you have a favorite way to put a book together i particularly like non-adhesive bindings. So 
had one client in particular who also likes non-adhesive bindings. So that's a joy because she's always looking for something that's light and airy and, you know, she's making text out of, um, so the words are actually watermarks. So you, you really see them when you hold them up to the light and you see, you know, kind of like a watermark in a handmade paper that you can see the stamp of the handmade, you know, the paper maker in it. She's got the text going through these white sheets of paper that you can read in that way. And so I created a binding uh, where everything else was sort of in this light, translucent, movable, airy kind of um, construction that didn't use any glue, just used tabs and did use, you know, um, linen thread and things like that to hold it all in place. But other than that, it, there was a lot more movement and it was much more delicate to be sure than anything that you're gonna glue together um, and be able to put in one of those nipping presses. But it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to make and it's a lot of fun to handle. Um, so those. Yeah. yeah, that sounds amazing. And the thing, if the thing about books is, is you want to handle them, you want to touch them, you want to turn the pages, you want to right. smell the leather or feel the cool touch of the metal. Right, right. With the, with the non-sharp edges. Right. And, uh, yeah, and you want to experience the book. The, a book is an experience. Right. It, it truly is. And, and yes, there's all kinds. There's e-books and there's, you know, that, that's, that's one kind. But, and and I, I read e-books, and I'm sure you do too. Yeah, and, convenient. You know, yeah, I mean, you know, but but I do, I, I prefer, I like the hardback, older books. I like when they have that leather backing and it just, and you know, the raised lettering and, and sometimes right. there's a little... You can feel it as you touch yeah. it, yes. And the feel yeah. and the smell and then the pages and then you turn them and you don't have to worry about them ripping the older books. And, and like you were talking about before, it's just, it's a sturdier, it's, what do you call it, rag linen? Well, like the rag paper, rag paper. paper. It's not all made out of rag, but still, it's it's uh, any kind of linen or rag paper is very nicely. You, you can, I mean, abaca. I mean, you could get all kinds of fibers. Abaca makes a beautiful, but a little more brittle paper. So you know, it's it's it's, it's yeah. you can have so many. There's so many varieties of what you can make the paper out of what you can choose for materials, that it's kind of this wonderland to play in. For me, as a bookbinder, that's one of the things I like about it most, is just being, working with all these different materials and trying to figure out how I can use it to create uh, an experience of looking through this book that is sort of, is a synergistic in a way. So it's, you know, all the parts are adding up to more than the whole. So it's, it's a fun process. Yeah, yeah, definitely experience. You're right. It's an experience when when you hold these these books that are like like right. you talked about the with the watermark, the text as the watermark. That would just be fascinating to right. just to hold that and look at that book and experience that. Now you you um now you're not just a bookbinder, but you're also a writer. I do dabble in that. Yes. <laughs> Yes, and, and you, you, you have a, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I know you're working on a project right now that kind of mirrors a little bit of what you do for a living. Right, so, you know, during, during COVID times, I put 
the, the work you're referring to on hold because I couldn't get my mind around it for some reason. But that one that you're referring to is the main character is Bookbinder. Um, and so there's a lot of references about the studio and what's in the studio and the type of materials and working with an, um, a collector client to rehabilitate or just box old amazing collections. Um, and so that, that, and you know, the things that you can find, the, the sort of mysteries that you unearth in that process is sort of what that story is about. So I hope to get back to that um, eventually. But right now it's one of the uh, uh, novels under the bed, you know, type things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's definitely, would it be a, a mystery then? It's a bit of, yes, it's a mystery. So in the sense that um, this bookbinder has a mysterious illness that nobody, it's kind of weird. I couldn't write about illness while we were going through COVID-19, I guess. Yeah. So the bookbinder has a mysterious illness that none of the doctors can figure out, you know, and she's starting to think she's crazy. And then she's looking through this book that she's, um, that is owned by the collector she works for. And it has a description of her symptoms right there. And it's a 500 year old book. And how could this person writing this manuscript have known what her symptoms were 500 years before? And so she goes, on a hunt of trying to figure out what this person is writing about and sneaking the book out of, you know, or photos of the book out of the collection so she can research it more and trying, trying to solve her own mystery by trying to figure out what this book was about. So that's, that's, that's the mystery. Well, that sounds really good. So you need to get back to working on that. Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. So if people are interested in finding out more about bookbinding and what you do, how can they find you? Well, they can go to, the easiest way to go find me is to look for my website, which you can get to by um, typing in lisavanpelt.com. That sends you to my website, even though it's called lvpbookbinding.com. It's, you know, they both go in the same place. And that has links to both you know, the types of books, you know, there's all kinds of photos in there of books that I've done, which I need to update with some of that recent stuff. Um, and, you know, some social media sites that I, I, uh, I have an Instagram account that I put studio pictures into uh, when I'm working on a project. And uh, so you can find um, lots of informal pictures about you know the process and so lots of sewing pictures so that's a good place to see like if you want to visualize what this sewing thing is um lots of that and also i love to show people the new um bookbinding books that i find or have in my studio because i think if somebody really enjoys thinking about bookbinding they might want to try to do it themselves so it's not a bad idea anyway you can find all that on my website. Oh, fantastic. So uh, everybody listening, uh, you can just drop down to the show notes and you can find all the information about finding out more about Lisa and her work. And um, when I'm done with this, I'm going to run to Instagram and take a look at all your 
pictures because I find it fascinating, absolutely fascinating. I, I wish that there was no COVID and I could come and see your studio. Right. Would have been nice to interview you in your studio. Um, just to right. See. This this isn't exactly what my studio <laughs> looks like back here, as you can tell. <laughs> right now, I'm in my messy office, so I'm not even. I can't even turn that screen off and have you look at the studio. Yeah, yeah. If you're, if you're if you're listening listening on the podcast, uh, we both have. Um, virtual screens behind us right. uh, because yeah same here my office is a wreck absolute <laughs> yeah. wreck so um absolutely scary and i love my office because i have this gorgeous little red refrigerator in the corner <laughs> oh I, I love it usually it looks great i got my little um uh i don't know various things that that i well, actually all the stuff is off my walls because we thought we were going to have to move and then we didn't but anyway so uh yeah i know right as covid was starting um, our landlord said, oh, I'm kicking you out so I can sell the house. And we're like, um, the state's in a lockdown and we can't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's terrible. I'm so glad that didn't happen. Us too. You know, I found, I found a moving, I found one moving company that was actually uh, taking supplies to stores, helping to bring like supplies to Walmarts and things like that. And so they said, well, we can, we can send a truck up. And they had all these proceed, pr procedures for making sure, you know, nobody got sick and all that. Right. So I felt really safe, you know, chatting with them. And it would have been to another house in the same town somewhere. Uh, but <laughs> it was like, um, dude, what do you Now's thinking? a bad time for this. <laughs> yeah, well, he probably figured out pretty quickly that it was not a good time to sell a house either. So no, you know, yeah, you go to Zillow and it says uh, there's no walking through houses right now. Right. Know, you can look at pictures, right. but no one is going to walk you through right now. So yeah, he right. figured out pretty quickly that it, it wasn't a good idea. No, no. Phew. Yeah, yeah, well. that was that was yeah, that was crazy. That was crazy. But thank you so much for coming on today. This is so fascinating. I mean, I could listen to you talk about. Um, I mean, we didn't even talk about end papers and things. And th those are the, the right. things that you put inside the, inside the cover, inside cover. Right, right, right. Inside the cover. And then you can have a fly leaf, you know, even sometimes even a couple pages of de decorative sheets at the beginning and the end of a book, depending on, you know, how old the book is um, or just what they feel like putting in there as decorative bits. Yeah, I mean, it's so it's so interesting. I, I was thinking when I was when I today when I was thinking about talking to you, I was thinking I would love to create some sort of a book, have something put together where I, where I could have it hand done and and have it just like you were talking about, where it was something that I just don't know what though. I mean, I don't write poetry. I write right now. I write cozy mysteries, and I'm I'm getting ready to start a sci-fi series. Um, cool. Yeah, so I thought, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe, I don't know, I don't know, I'd have to think about it, but I think it would be really, really cool to have something that was, um, maybe even, you know, my, my cozy series has, uh, it's the girl that, she doesn't want to be a detective, and she ends up having to always seem to be, she's kind of finds herself always in the middle of things, but she has this greyhound, it's actually not her greyhound, it's her friend's greyhound, but she's always, the dog's always with her, it seems, and it would be fun to have the dog etched, you know, into the cover. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And do like you can a, do that pretty easily. I mean, that's the that's you get a die made with the the image on it out of a certain metal, and you put it in a hot stamping machine, and you just print it on the cover. Not not hard. 
that hard. That would be really cool to do some yeah. uh, limited editions, maybe to raise money for uh, greyhounds. I'm always trying to think of ways because oh, yeah. we used to have, I used to have a greyhound, and when I, I used to do video work and I I did um some uh, uh stuff for the the greyhound people you now to try to help them out, but. That's that would amazing. be fun to maybe maybe think about doing something, doing yeah. a limited edition of maybe, um, what's a good size? I mean, how many pages when you're talking limited editions, how many pages is too many? I mean, how many, what's a good size? Right. Yeah, they're much smaller, much thinner books than like your, your normal novel, for instance. Like I've never actually, well, I've at another binders studio, I've helped to bind a novel. But it's um, usually the stuff I end up doing aren't that long. Um, they're, you know, under, geez, how many pages? Um, I, I get this question and I never, I'm like, yeah, how many pages that always? Um, I mean, because it could be anything from, you know, something like 50 pages or 30 pages or maybe up to, you know, nothing more than 100 pages kind of thing. So, um, that's partly because these structures, uh, well, you really, the heavier the book, the more robust that structure and binding has to be to hold it all together. So like you have these big old tomes, uh, you know, from monasteries that are rather large, all, both in thickness and in height and width and all that. Um, and those are sewn on cords to keep it all together, usually leather bound, something very strong. The leather they use is, you know, not going to use, just going to use very strong materials. You know, the old parchments, those definitely start to fray at the joints and things like that over time because of the weight of the book in, um, in part. So well, what I end up working on are much lighter books um, and that opens up the field of materials a little bit more. But if you want to use, you can definitely, you know, do a novel in this way, but that's sort of the type of thing that when I mentioned earlier, there's binders that have bigger shops and they've got Smithstone um, books, or the machine that does Smithstone, which is, it's everything but hand sewn. It's using the needle and thread, but it takes a larger book block and keeps it sort of under control while you're trying to do all that sewing. Um, and the machine takes care of that part. So those are steps you can do to make it a little more accessible. And and they do all the kinds of, you know, and papers and stamping yeah. on the covers and all that stuff too. I'll have to see if I can come up with maybe a short story um, yeah, that would be, that well, would you be could fun. do, you could do one of the novels too. I'm just saying, you yeah, know. yeah, that might it, be fun it to presents other kinds of limitations. The bigger it gets, it's not, it's not at all impossible. It's, yeah. uh, just sends you, you get this category of options as opposed to this category. Of options. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's all very exciting to think about. I'll have to think about that, but so yeah. people can find you have I, as I, ages ago, we, we, you said it was uh, lisavanpelt.com. That's right. That's right. And you're on Instagram. So check out the links in the show notes. 
and you can find all of her information and all kinds of great photos about bookbinding. So thank yeah. you so much for coming on today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Lisa. You can go down to the show notes and you can click on the links and you can see her Instagram and Pinterest pages. And I highly recommend you go and check them out. She does gorgeous work. And that's it for this time. If you have any comments, click on that comment link and it will take you to our YouTube channel and I will read them and respond. It's just too hard for me to look around all the places that the show airs and I'm lazy. So if you could just go to that link, if you want to comment, if you have a book you want to recommend, or if you've written a book that I need to read, please let me know. I'm desperate to read more good books. And uh, I'm also on Instagram, uh, books cubed, really easy to find. So that's it for this time. And uh, have a wonderful day and uh, go out and go read a good book and I'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.